Well, good evening. How are we doing tonight? Awesome, awesome. Well, if you didn't know, Pastor Ken um, and the team are on their way back from Russia. Uh, he should be here this Sunday to continue teaching through the book of Acts. So continue to keep them in your prayers. We're excited to have them back. But as he is gone tonight, as Eric said, I am privileged to be able to share with you tonight. Tonight, we're gonna be in the book of Jonah, actually. Uh, if you haven't read through this book before, tonight's gonna be your very first opportunity because we're actually gonna read through the whole thing. Um, but a few things as you're finding Jonah, if you find it's about halfway through the Old Testament, turn a little bit further. It's really easy to skip because it's really only a couple of pages long. But as you find your way, there's a few things about this, this book. Uh, Jonah is honestly one of the most complex short stories that I've ever read. Um, the fact that it is so short and there's so much packed into, contained into it, we could honestly have a study for each chapter if we had the opportunity. And so it's, it's filled with many things. It's filled with irony. And as we'll see, it's supposed to be. That's part of the way that it's laid out. And uh, one disservice that we do sometimes to our kids is something that, that I grew up with as well. If you grew up in church and you learned about Jonah, you learn about it as a fish story. It's not a fish story. In fact, there's only two verses in the entire book that even have the fish in there, but that's how we remembered as a kid if we grew up in the church. But then uh, the last thing kind of as you find your way there is um, the word Lord, capital O, capital O, capital R, capital D, is used many times in there. And what that refers to is the, the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. And so as we read through it, uh, I really want to, I'll read it that way. Instead of using Lord, we're gonna use the, the word Yahweh. And remember, that is the covenant name of God as he relates to his people, Israel. And so hopefully you found your way there. I won't have you stand up tonight because I said we are going to, to read the entire book. We're gonna focus mostly on the last chapter, but I think in order to get there, we want to, to read through the entire book. So if you found your way to Jonah, uh, starting in chapter one and at verse one, please follow along with me. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from Yahweh because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, 
But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to Yahweh, Please, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared Yahweh, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows to him. Now Yahweh provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to Yahweh, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Yahweh my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from Yahweh. And Yahweh commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the, the word of Yahweh and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to Yahweh, isn't this what I said, Yahweh, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Yahweh, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But Yahweh replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then Yahweh God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But Yahweh said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? It's the book of Jonah. Let's, let's pray before we get started. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the uniqueness of each and every book that is composed in, in the word of God that you have given us. I pray that tonight that you would just speak to our hearts. I pray that you would um, have your hand over me, allow me to speak with clarity and confidence the words that you have given, Lord, and also give me the courage to, to not say anything that you have, have not given me to say. I pray for everyone here that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would take this, this story that you have written down for us, Lord, and apply it to our lives in a way that only your Holy Spirit can. So we thank you for this time. We give it to you. We ask for you to be glorified, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever had a preschooler in your house, you probably know the books and or shows that have little rhymes and little exercises about find the thing that looks different. All these things are the same. Which one of these looks different? If you grew up with Sesame Street, you're probably already singing the song in your head. Uh, we're not gonna sing it tonight, so don't worry about that. But you know the ones that I'm talking about. As we get older, we move on from the worksheets and the exercises and the songs. However, the principle is still the same. Sometimes the most important things are the things that we need to take note of in life are not shown to us by what's actually there, but what, why is, what is actually missing from the picture or from the story. That can be seen in, as people, uh, detectives start to look into crime scene investigations. They're more looking for, well, this should be there, but it's not, and so that tells us that something, something else is going on here. It also can be seen in x-rays as doctors look up at the screen and they say, well, this, this is supposed to look this way, but it's not that way, and so that tells us something. The reason I, I say these in, in opening is because the book of Jonah is kind of like that. And, and here's what I mean in kind of a comical sense. Like I said, it's not a fish story, okay? But we've got a lot of pictures up there. Can you spot the one that's different? What's missing from it? Compassion. Compassion is missing. Okay, this book has many examples of compassion. Like I said, it's very complex. As you look through the book of Jonah, you will see lots of compassion. God's compassion towards the pagan sailors that were on the ship, toward the pagan Ninevites who, who didn't worship him, even towards Jonah in, in not just striking him dead for one, but providing even a fish when he tries to, to say, you know, just kill me, throw me overboard. God's continually showing compassion towards Jonah. In fact, the sailors on the ship are even showing compassion towards Jonah because he's saying, throw me overboard. It's like, there, there's gotta be a better way than that. That's, that's the worst answer. Let's find a different one. And so there's a lot of compassion going on. But, but Jonah, the prophet of God, the one who we would think the most would have compassion is the one person in the story that we don't see it from. Until chapter four, when Jonah finally shows a moment of, of weakness and kindness towards a plant. Again, the book is filled with irony and everything in it is turned upside down. The more that you read it, 
in that light of knowing that everything is turned upside down, the more complex it becomes and you start to see just how turned upside down it is. So everything is turned upside down from what we would expect to see, even the way that the book is composed. Okay, the, the book of Jonah is, is part of the prophets. And most of the prophets we look and we're seeing a prophecy that is spoken to a group of people or to a king or to a person. Um, the book of Jonah has very little prophecy actually, and it's about a prophet. There's actually only, only eight words of prophecy in it. And honestly, it's a very vague eight words. It doesn't even tell Nineveh what they did wrong. It just says, your time's short and you're done. And so even the fact that it's not like the other books of prophecy is very, very ironic. And so it doesn't offer much detail, but it is very, very clear from the narrative of Jonah that Jonah doesn't want to go. And it's not until the end of the book that we actually find out why he doesn't want to go. It becomes very clear in the way that he speaks that he knows about the character of God or Yahweh, but he has great disdain for some reason for the Ninevites. And he has become set in his own opinion of them. Um, some of us have some have heard some people say when we're trying to explain something, our, our response that we're given is, I've already made up my mind, don't bother me with the details. And, and that really kind of sees to be where Jonah is at. He doesn't want to hear anything about them or why they should be rescued. He says, no, he's already written them off in his mind. And so while Jonah is a rebellious prophet and our goal is certainly not to imitate him, we're not, that's not why you should be reading this book, there's a lot that we can learn from him and his interaction um, with God because whether we would like to admit it or not, um, we are at times a lot more like Jonah than we would like to think. And so before we get into that, just a few things to kind of set the story that I think are kind of helpful as we look into it. In the time of Jonah, if you go through and read 2 Kings 13, you can kind of put a note there and read through it later. But this is kind of just a, a paraphrase of some verses put together from 2 Kings 13. But we find out that in the time of Jonah, because of the sins of Jehoahaz, Israel was oppressed by the Arameans. But because of the Lord's great compassion, Israel was spared destruction and delivered from this oppression. Again, that's 2 Kings 13. And so there's a few things that are a couple things that that's important for. One, um, the Assyrians were very evil in the eyes of God. If you've ever done any study on the Assyrians, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, go ahead and, and look that up or, or find a biblical encyclopedia and look that up. But the things that they did were terrifying. And, and if we started reading over those things tonight, you would have reason to not like them either. Um, they were very, very horrific and graphic of how they treated prisoners, how they treated people who were in their... Under, under their rule. And so they were very evil in the eyes of God. But the reason that 2 Kings 13 is important is that Jonah prophesied in an era when Assyria was not an immediate threat to Israel. There were times when they were, but at, this, at the time Jonah was speaking, they weren't. Israel was actually enjoying a, a time of peace and prosperity, again, because of the compassion of God. We really can't over, overstate that part of it. And so the big thing is that, again, the irony is that from that, we can see that Jonah experienced firsthand God's compassion for him and his own people. But that being the case in his mind, Nineveh was still beyond disqualified, not without reason. He had a list of things as to why they should not be included in, in recipients of God's compassion. And so 
As far as where we're at, I have a little map up here. Hopefully we can see some stuff here, but there's a few cities we want to, want to take note of. We have Gath Hefer, which we find out from 2 Kings 14 is where Jonah is from. So we don't have a dot there, but you can see that on the screen. We have Nineveh, which is just up and to the right. That's where God had called Jonah to go to preach to the Ninevites. We have Joppa, which is a little bit down and to the left from where Jonah was from. This is where Jonah went because it was a port city. That's where the ships took off from. And so that's where he went. And then we have Tarshish way up here on the upper left-hand corner. And so the question may be, why Tarshish as far as you can possibly go on the map? And it goes back to the idea of, of irony. The fact is that you are supposed to see that as ridiculous. Okay, you're like, seriously, you can't go anywhere else besides get in a boat at Joppa and then just go all the way left until you can't go anymore. And so it's irony, but really the kind of genre of, of literature that this is, is, is satire. Okay, the whole book is written that way. And as you read it that way, you start to be able to understand what the author is trying to convey. But a satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's foolishness or vices. So a lot of things that we see here in Jonah is exaggeration. You have a great fish, you have a great storm, you have a great distance that he decides to run away. There's lots of exaggeration, and it's so that we can see clearly uh, the foolishness of, of the person in question. In that case, it's actually Jonah. And so after we see uh, where it takes place and kind of what the, the genre it is, here's kind of an interesting outline of the book. And, and honestly, um, there's a lot of parallelism here. And honestly, the book of Jonah is really a literary masterpiece. And the reason is, is because it lays out so nicely. So you have basically seven parts that we're gonna talk about. Uh, first part is Jonah's commissioning and flight. You can see that, these all line up. Um, that's followed by Jonah and the pagan sailors on the boat, we read about that. That's followed by part three, Jonah's grateful prayer from within inside the fish when he calls out and, and, and calls out to his God. Then we have um, part four, which is Jonah's recommissioning and compliance. God gives Jonah another chance. You can see how we're going back to where part one is in parallel with part four. Part five is Jonah and the pagan Ninevites. So it's in parallel with part number two, Jonah and the pagan sailors. Part six is Jonah's angry prayer that he prays as he's sitting outside the city. And again, that's in parallel with part three, his grateful prayer from inside the, the fish. And then we have part seven, which is Jonah's lesson about compassion. And you can see that one doesn't have a match. And so remember from the beginning, one of these things is not like the other. Okay, that's where to look. That's where we want to have our attention drawn to. And so um, that one doesn't have a match. God's compassion is th shown throughout the entire story, except in Jonah. And so the question is, what can we learn from this? And so I want to start, again, we're going to focus on, on Jonah chapter four. And so in verse one, we read that, but to Jonah, again, this is after the city of Nineveh. God has shown compassion to the city of Nineveh. And verse one of chapter four says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Okay, the, the emphasis here that we wanna focus on now is, is he became angry and hopefully that'll make sense. But uh, in order to do that, I kinda wanna unpack anger a little bit. I said, hopefully this, this will make sense as to why we're doing this. But if we look at anger, as Jonah became angry, you know, we can ask ourselves the same question. Have you ever become angry? Just, just me, okay. So um, if you know angry people, this is for them. 
But are we very compassionate when we're angry? When we become angry, are we very compassionate people? Not typically. No, in fact, as I was, you know, we'll talk about irony, as I was preparing to teach tonight, I was driving down the road, getting ready to merge onto the, to the highway where I live at, and the joy of that intersection is there's not really an on-ramp, and so basically if the people that are coming down I-90 don't get over, you're not getting on. And so normally it's not a big issue, but as I'm thinking about compassion and, you know, God is so compassionate everything, I come down the on-ramp and there's three cars in a row that are not getting over. And so I have to come to a complete halt and I go from thinking about compassion to do any of you people in the city know how to drive? <laughs> so the point is that when we become angry, no, we're not very compassionate. Okay, a few verses that come to mind, as a lot of you know, I grew up in the church and so there were lots of verses that I knew uh, from Awana or different programs, but a few verses for me that come to mind that were taught if you're in the church is uh, from Ephesians 4.26, uh, in your anger, do not sin. Okay? Proverbs 29.11, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Okay? Um, in the New Testament, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Okay. Okay, we can agree with all those things. But how do I do that? Because if I try to not give full vent to my anger, I fail. Okay, if I try not to sin in my anger and I even try harder, I fail harder. Okay, if I try to just not, you know, try to go on my anger because so, it doesn't um, come to God's righteousness, I fail. So in some sense, it's like, okay, I believe all that's true, but right now that's not really helping me and getting me a whole, whole lot of places right now. And so, again, you guys can just kind of listen to my story since you aren't angry people out there, but, but I found myself in a point of, of being angry. And so um, I decided to try to understand anger and try to understand more of what's this going on. Why does it feel like I do not have control of this area in my life? And so the first thing is growing up and knowing all those verses, we're kind of given the idea, even if we aren't told it exactly, that anger is not a good thing. Anger is a bad thing. And I don't know what your opinion of anger is tonight as we sit here, but hopefully it will, it will grow as we begin to unpack it. But, but honestly, one of the, the lessons from this is, is, for me it was anger, but when God shows you something, um, we would do well to pay attention and seek to learn about it uh, because it's not going to, to go anywhere else until we allow him to deal with it. And so uh, some of you uh, about a month ago were here for the Gary Chapman conference and, and he was a great speaker here speaking on marriage and he talked about one book uh, and encouraged a lot of people to get it. I didn't get it that day because you know, I was just like, you know, that's, that's not me. But, but I decided to pick up his, his book and he had some really, really helpful things to say. And so I'll kind of paraphrase a couple of statements from his book. But the first thing he says, anger is evidence that we are made in God's image. It demonstrates that we still have some concern for justice and righteousness in spite of our fallen state. When one ceases to experience anger, one has lost her sense of moral concern. And then he goes on to say, human anger is designed by God to motivate us to take constructive action in the face of wrongdoing or when facing injustice. 
So according to him, anger is not a bad thing. In fact, anger is something that we all experience. It's just a matter of if we've learned how to, to deal with it or how we, if we've learned how to process it or not. But, but anger is something that we experience when, when something has happened that is wrong. When we see something that is wrong, we get angry because we do have a desire that's been put in, into us by God for justice. He is, he is the ultimate author of justice, but we are in his image. And so he has put that into us. And so he goes on to further explain there's two types of anger, and this was super helpful for me. There's two types of anger, according to, to Dr. Chapman. The first type is, is definitive anger. This is when uh, it's born of wrongdoing, valid anger. Somebody has, has done something to wrong you. They've, they've stolen something from you. They've hurt you physically. They've done something that we can agree is morally or ethically wrong. Okay, something has actually taken place. So definitive anger is to be compared with what he calls distorted anger, which is anger that is triggered by a mere disappointment, an unfulfilled desire, a frustrated effort, a bad mood, or other things that have nothing to do with a moral transgression. Okay, the idea here is that we perceive something wrong has taken place. It may or may not have, but we perceive. And the important thing here is, is that uh, our perception can be wrong, or we may not have all the information to put together this whole story, but that doesn't change the fact that our anger is still there. God created us this way. And so what that tells us is that if there's been a definitive wrong against us, then we get angry because things need to be made right. However, if we recognize that our anger is distorted, it means that we should probably try to figure out the rest of the story as far as what's going on. Because while there are different causes, sometimes it's a real wrong that's been done and something, it's a perceived wrong that's been done. Regardless, we feel angry. And we all know what it feels like to, to feel angry. There are certain things within our body that start to happen. And so honestly, those two things, understanding that anger is not a bad thing, anger is a good thing, that, that shows that we still have a care for justice and, and, and rightness in the world. And, and the explanation of those two types of anger has really you know, been really life-changing for, for me over the last few weeks as I've really started to understand this. And what I came to, you can assess your, your own life, but what I came to my conclusion was I tend to experience mostly distorted anger a lot of the times. It doesn't mean that it's all the time, but most of the time I tend to experience distorted anger. However, the way that I react is more in line what if, as if I had experienced definitive anger. So I may go off of a rumor that something, somebody said about me and, and treat it as if they stole from me or hurt somebody I love. And you can kind of see how that can kind of cause a major problem. And so that's, that's kind of our, our little stop on anger there. And so you may be asking the question, what is the relationship between missing compassion and anger? And, and I asked myself this question, and here's where I think it, it is. I think that anger, because it is put into us by God, that it's not inherently bad in itself, that anger can either move us further towards or further away from compassion, depending on how we respond to it. There's a few illustrations that I can, that I can use to, to talk about this with, with my kids. Okay, sometimes, you know, the more kids you have, the more prone you are probably to be angry, just because, you know, you got to have patience as a learning to do things. And uh, if you don't have this problem, I apologize. It's just me. But sometimes kids can just be kids. 
they didn't actually do anything morally wrong, but they did something that became very inconvenient to me or to my family or to somebody else around me. And because of that, I, I get angry. Okay, in that moment, I have an opportunity to either move further towards compassion towards my kids or further away from, depending on how I react to it. Okay, if you're married, I can do the same thing with my wife. Okay, sometimes we know that, that life heats up and, and we have certain things that come up and sometimes one of us says something unkind to the other person. Okay, in that moment, we can either move towards compassion and say, oh, wow, you know, she must have had a rough day or she must have, you know, there might be something else going on. Or I can move further away from compassion and say, obviously, she doesn't appreciate that I have a job too and go down all this road and everything. So again, further away or further towards. But we can also do it towards other people. And I heard a story recently that was really, kind of illustrated this really, really well, actually. Uh, some people were at a hockey game here in town, and there was an instance where, you know, the, the people working at, at the rink went around and they were shooting T-shirts up into the crowd. And all of a sudden, they specifically looked at this little girl and they shot a T-shirt up to her. Okay, great thing to do. All of a sudden, this group of people, a couple of ladies or something, come down, take the T-shirt away from the little girl. Okay, you can imagine everybody around them is just pretty and right now. Like, what in the world did you do? And so at that moment, they have an opportunity to move towards compassion or move against it. This one turned out really good because it turns out that this story ends by a group of people saw what had happened, saw how upset the little girl was and how wrong it was. They went up to, you know, the fan store up there, bought that girl a jersey, brought it down to her and gave it to her to make things right. Okay, they became angry and it gave an opportunity for them to move further towards compassion. And so just a few ideas. Hopefully you're getting some ideas in yourself as to how this kind of applies. But now jumping back to Jonah, now we've kind of unpacked anger a little bit. Jumping back to Jonah, we can see again, Jonah chapter four, verse one, the verse that we put up earlier. But to Jonah, things seemed very wrong and he became angry. And instead of putting the emphasis on that he became angry, if we put the focus on things seemed very wrong, then we have to ask ourselves the question or hopefully Jonah would ask himself the question, was it actually wrong, what happened? Was God actually in the wrong? Did he do something morally or ethically wrong as him being God extending compassion and mercy to the Ninevites? Or was it just his perception? And so we can learn a lot, I think, from Jonah and his lesson about compassion. Before we get into his angry prayer, which is found in, in verses two and three, I, I heard something by an author that I thought was just absolutely incredible. But as you think about you're angry right now and the first things that come out of your mouth, they say, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. <laughs> That's pretty true. Okay, so Jonah's angry and here's how he prays. He says, isn't this what I said? when I was still at home. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. It's very easy for us to read over that statement if we don't understand what he's actually saying, but he's 
reciting something that's repeated several times throughout scripture. Um, you can go back to Exodus 34, verses six and seven to see where it's at, but it's, it's how God himself describes himself. He says that he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. And in different words, but a God who relents from sending calamity. And so here's Jonah's strategy in his prayer. He tries to use God's own words against him. Again, this book is filled with irony. We're supposed to think that that's ridiculous because if we look, look at anything you know about negotiating with an angry person or when you're, you're guilty, um, that's probably not a good strategy. You know, it's similar to when you, know, you get in an argument with someone you love and they say, you know, you did this or you know, whatever it is they say and your response is you would say that. That's, that's not usually going to make the, the argument or the conversation go better. And so that's his, that, that's his reaction, that's his prayer. But then we see God's response. And again, the book is filled with God's compassion. Yahweh replies just simply, is it right for you to be angry? And again, here's another case of irony because as we look at this story, who actually has the right to be angry? The more we understand, Jonah doesn't actually have a right to be angry. God does. In fact, God has a right to be furious with Jonah because he's acting, he's supposed to be a prophet, but he's acting like a toddler. And so God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah goes out and sits outside of the city, sits down, makes himself a little hut and sits in the shade and just waits to see what's gonna happen. He's still hoping for Nineveh's complete demise. He hasn't relented at all, despite being thrown overboard, despite being swallowed by a great sea creature. He hasn't relented at all. And, and once heard it, heard it said by another um, pastor is, is we would like to believe that God sees people the way that we see people. And it's, it's so true. And so Jonah's sitting outside, still just fuming in anger, waiting to see, okay, is this city gonna be destroyed yet? And so God's next move is, it says that he provided a leafy plant. Jonah didn't ask for it. God just provided this plant to grow up over him and, and provide shade for him so that he wouldn't be in discomfort. And Jonah was really happy about that. I think it's the first time we see Jonah happy in the whole book. He's happy because a plant is covering him and protecting him from the sun. Okay, but it doesn't last long because the next thing that happens is we see that God gives him a test. Okay, so the plant is there for one day, Jonah's thrilled. The next day, the same way that God provided a plant, he also provided a worm to eat the plant and says, now the plant's gone. And so he kind of he tests him. And again, Jonah goes straight back to the place where he was. He wants to die, says this is the worst it's ever gonna get and just take me now. And so God is using a tangible thing to test Jonah's heart. Every time Jonah shows some type of repentance or partial repentance, God does something tangible or we might say physical to test your heart. How deep is your change of heart right now? And sometimes God does the same thing for us is we feel like, okay, God's dealt with that. I don't, I don't need to worry about it now. But then something comes into our life and he kind of asks the question like, are you sure? You said you were fine, but then your tire went out on the way, you know, or you ran out of gas or something, some other thing that inconvenienced you. He really kind of tests us to say, you know, how deep is your change of heart right now? 
And so next we see God asked exactly the same question. Again, God completely has a right to be angry. And if he did something that would kind of indicate that, we probably wouldn't be surprised. But again, he just asked Jonah the same question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, in his moment, just says, yes, it is. And I wish I were dead. And so God patiently explains to him, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's how the book ends. We are never told Jonah's next move. But again, going back to where we first started, that's not the point. The point is what's missing. Okay, that's where we want to look. And, and honestly, I believe that even if we were told Jonah's response, it wouldn't change the meaning that we're supposed to get out of this. See, Jonah shows us what happens when you give full vent to your anger. Proverbs says don't do it. Jonah shows us what happens when you do. We've all been there. I've shared stories about, you know, being an adult person and throwing, you know, toddler tantrums. We all do it. And God shows us how he is able to help us process our anger. Which again, if any of you are kind of like me, some of us have never learned how to do and so when we get angry, we look back and say, it always turns out bad because we either say something that we regret, we either do something that we regret. Sometimes it causes financial, relational catastrophe. I mean, it, it never turns out well. But again, Jonah's response isn't the point. The point is clearly seeing God's heart of compassion to all people and then looking at ourselves. Because if we're honest and we take a deep look inside, there's some Jonah in all of us. See how this kind of plays out is, is God calls us to do something. Okay, you know what it is, but we say no. Like, nope, not doing that. Okay, while still in disobedience, we do other worshipful things. Okay, God says, what you're doing is wrong. You're like, well, I'm not gonna change that, but I'm still gonna come to church every Sunday and things are gonna be good. Or I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna you know, read my Bible every day and things are gonna be good, but we're unwilling to do what he has actually told us to do or told us that we, we need to stop doing. And so then we experience consequences from our actions because that's what happens. And then there may come a time where we recognize his provision and express thankfulness for, for who he is and how he has spared us from our moment of foolishness. And then there may come a time where we finally give in grudgingly to what he's called us to do. Okay, God, like I'll do it. But then here's the kicker. Eventually, that button, whatever it is for you, gets pushed and we get mad because things didn't go how we think it should. And this is just a snapshot example of our lives. You all have your own stories. I have my own story and they're continuing to play out, but this is filled of these, this, this series of events of uh, things that happen to us and how we respond to them. And so another thing, if we're honest with ourselves, we all make judgments on what we think is right and wrong. Who we think is worthy of kindness and compassion and who isn't. 
And while we can and should laugh at the idea of Jonah showing compassion toward a plant and ignoring a city of many people, again, if we're honest, all the time we put things before people. It's different for you, it's different for me, but the point is that we all do it. And so just like Jonah, God asks us, is it right for us to be angry? What are you angry about right now? What is happening in your life that you are just thinking, that shouldn't be that way, or that's not fair, that's not right, or maybe it's you'll get yours someday. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for me to be angry? Will we be given over to our anger and then therefore deal with and experience the consequences that come with that? Or will we learn from God how to process our anger so that our hearts and attitudes with each and every day will become more in line with his? Because if he has shown to us and we have accepted his compassion toward us, should we or do we really have a right to take issue if he extends it to other people? Where this gets really tricky is because if you look at Jonah and the Ninevites, Jonah belonged to Israel and they had God or Yahweh. Okay, the Ninevites were a completely pagan nation. But where this really starts to get home is we got a lot of different denominations now of churches. And this happens within those. Okay, we feel like we deserve God's compassion and his kindness and favor, but so-and-so down the street or so-and-so on the other side of town or in a different city they don't. And of course, we wouldn't say that outwardly, but we treat them differently or we try to avoid them. And so the truth is, whether you want to admit it or not or agree with it or not, but the truth is that we all have a compassion deficit in our lives. And God desires to, to expose and bring light to those areas in our lives. And so the question is, what is our response as he seeks to do that? Who are the Ninevites in your life or in my life? Okay, who are the people that we choose to either subconsciously or consciously treat differently because we have decided in our own heart that they are not worth the same compassion or mercy that God has extended to us and we have received? Who are the people that we choose just not to be around? We choose to avoid them because we have somehow convinced ourselves through this process that they are less human than we are. Who are the people in our lives that we have decided that we are okay to not show kindness to? And secondly, what are the, what are the plants in your life? Okay, what are the things that you treat better than people? What are the things in your life that take precedence over people, human beings that are created in God's image? Again, when you put it that way, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but that's kind of the point is once you actually compare whatever it is, whatever X, Y, Z thing is, and compare it with another human being, it's not even a question. So again, we all have them. We all have the people in our lives that we would say those are our Ninevites or those are the plants in our lives. But God calls us to repent. And we have to be reminded that it's his kindness and compassion that even leads us to repentance. It's his kindness and compassion that whatever you're thinking about right now is coming to your mind. 
He's saying, this is a problem. This is hurting you. This is destroying you. This is going to cause all sorts of problems if you don't deal with it. It's his kindness that allows you to see that. And so the question is, will we? When, as he shows that to us, will we repent? Or will we continue to hold on to that thing because we're not quite convinced? Or we think that God's holding out on us? And so kind of coming full circle, switching over to the New Testament now. As Jesus said, Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. Okay, Jonah wasn't the, the object of compassion. He wasn't the one who could even extend compassion to, but he pointed to the one who could. That was his purpose. Go to the Ninevites and show them who I am. Tell them who I am. And so Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, but we read in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, and we think we have it on the screen there, is this is Jesus. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man, Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, again, these are the pagan Ninevites of the city of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. They repented at Jonah's eight-word sermon. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Of course, referring to himself. And so again, the emphasis is on compassion. That's what the emphasis is on for God. And that's what the emphasis is as far as the deficit in our lives. That's what's lacking in us. A lot of times we end up angry is because we do not have all the compassion that we need. And so because of his compassion, God sent Jonah to the Ninevites looking forward into the book of Matthew because, again, because of his compassion, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to us. And so again, the question is, what will we do in response? God has, in his compassion, extended relationship to us. Okay, the first step is receiving that. Okay, if you haven't done that, that's the first step. But if you have, then the question is, what are you going to do with that compassion now? Are you going to extend that compassion to other people or are you going to keep that compassion to yourself and just say, no, God has saved me, but there's no way, you're, you're outside of saving, sorry. And the hard part gets is because we can use all sorts of examples that would say that's an easy one to write off, but we all have people in our lives that, like I said, we wouldn't outwardly say you're outside of God's compassion, but in our minds, in our hearts, we've, we've written them off or we're just saying there's no way or I can't even stand being around that person. I don't want them to be in the same circle. But that's why the way of Jesus is completely contradictory to, to everything is because his compassion extends to all people. And really, that's the point of the book of Jonah. And that's what we really need to ask ourselves is, are we in line with that, your mission to extend compassion to all people? Or are we set in our own way and saying, no, I'm going to make the calls on this one. He extended his compassion and he really calls us to do the same.
Father, I just thank you so much for your word, again, and just how it, how it speaks. I thank you for the opportunity to, to dig into it and just for the blessing it is that your spirit speaks to us. And Lord, I, I just I trust that um, you're speaking to hearts tonight, Lord. I know you've been speaking to mine for the past week and a half, just pouring over this message and, and you showing me how I need to be more compassionate to my kids, to my wife, to my neighbors, people I work with, everyone around me, Lord. And so uh, I thank you that you're faithful to show us what you want us to. And I pray that all of us tonight, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to, to let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to that we think is greater or worth more value than your compassion, Lord. So give us this grace. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.